In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Every day in the sacred liturgy, the Church, the Bride of Christ, asks God for the graces which she knows we need, and these are summed up in the prayer called the Collect. Here, more than anywhere else, we see fulfilled this promise of Scripture. The Spirit also helpeth our infirmity, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself asketh for us. And on this third Sunday after Easter, the Church invites us to make this prayer our own. O God, who showest to them that be in error the light of thy truth, to the intent that they may return to the way of righteousness, grant unto all them that are admitted into the fellowship of Christ's religion that they may shun those things that are contrary to their profession, and follow all such things as are agreeable to the same. Our Mother, the Church, assisted through the centuries by the Holy Ghost, truly knows what we need. How necessary this prayer is for every single one of us. The theme of this prayer, asking that the light of God's truth be given to those in error so that they may return to God's friendship, is so urgently needed today when there is so much confusion. Every time we have been able to share the faith with a non-believer, every time we ourselves have received the benefit of a fraternal correction when we were in spiritual danger, the grace of this prayer was being granted. In this prayer, the word for shun in Latin is respure. It has the sense of refusing or rejecting something, but its primary meaning literally is to spit out. This word also occurs notably in the Roman ritual, in the ceremony for the baptism of an adult, when, minutes before being admitted to the saving font, the catechumens are told in the strongest possible terms to reject their former errors, with a special formula to be used, depending on whether the convert is coming from paganism or Judaism or Islam or heresy, but in each case with this very striking verb, respure. They must spit out their former errors. St. Paul had written to the first Christians, If then any be in Christ a new creature, the old things are passed away. The words of Scripture, the words of the liturgy, reveal the Church's traditional understanding of evangelization. There is always the rejection of the errors of false religions, which keep souls away from the true God. The use of this verb, therefore, in the collect of this Sunday's Mass, was an important reminder to those who had been baptized only a few short weeks before. Grant unto all them that are admitted into the fellowship of Christ's religion that they may shun those things that are contrary to their profession. Though effective evangelizers may try to use common ground with non-Catholics, this rhetorical strategy can only ever be a starting point in a process whose goal is conversion. Ultimately, to be saved, a person must reject his former errors and embrace the fullness of God's revealed truth. This is the mission of the Church. I said that this prayer is also urgently needed today. That is because we are living at a time when God's most beautiful attribute, his mercy, is often being falsified. This is true mercy. O God, who showest to them that be in error the light of thy truth, 
to the intent that they may return to the way of righteousness. False mercy, on the other hand, does not bring the light of truth or the way of righteousness. It tries to hide the truth so that those in error do not become uncomfortable. What is mercy, anyway? We know how much God loves this virtue. When in the Old Testament he said, I desired mercy and not sacrifice, he was teaching us that the outward practice of religion is insufficient without mercy. And when our Lord comments on this verse, he adds, I am not come to call the just, but sinners. Jesus Christ is God's mercy in human flesh. If I can put it this way, mercy is the chemical reaction that happens when love interacts with misery. St. Thomas Aquinas puts it a bit more technically when he says, Mercy is heartfelt sympathy for another's distress, impelling us to help him if we can. Love, the virtue of charity, desires others to be happy. God wants us to be perfectly happy, which can only happen in heaven. Misery is the condition of being deprived of happiness. The greatest misery is actually sin, because it excludes us from God's friendship, and if we die that way, we will never go to heaven. Without denying the very real earthly miseries that exist in our world, the reality of sin puts them in perspective, from disease to unemployment to environmental damage. The Church, while careful to do what she can to alleviate physical misery, would be betraying her mission to save souls if, for example, her shepherds were to say their number one priority is the health of their parishioners. God shows us his mercy primarily when he saves us from our sin. And one of the main ways he does this, of course, is by giving us his truth. As Christ our Lord said to Pilate, For this I came into the world that I should give testimony to the truth. And that is why one of the spiritual works of mercy is to instruct the ignorant. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So what do I mean when I warn about false mercy? Well, if mercy is the reaction of love when it confronts misery, then false mercy is a purely sentimental mercy, based on a false love or on a false appraisal of another's misery. Remember, those are the two ingredients of mercy. As Christians, we love others because they, like us, are created in the image of God. This is the foundation of charity, loving others as ourselves because we want them to go to heaven. Secular love, though, is not the virtue of charity. It is instead what we might call affirmationism. It is a counterfeit. This false love is not based on the image of God we share, an image that is besmirched by our sins, but it is based on the false notion of human autonomy. I can make my own destiny and do as I please, and you need to affirm my decisions or else you are being hateful. So if we adopt this false worldly vision of love, then we will also adopt a false mercy that flows from it. If little Bobby wants to eat a bowl of sugar before he goes to bed, then mother is being unmerciful if she tells him no. If I go back on the vows I made when I got married 
and go to live with someone else, then you need to affirm my decision, and if you don't, then you are not being merciful. This false view of mercy is so widespread today. Of course, it is the opposite of the church's view of mercy, which teaches us that we need to reject, utterly to spit out anything that is a danger to our soul. Likewise, if we have a purely sentimental understanding of misery, of the suffering or distress people experience, then this can also lead to false mercy. Socrates, the great Greek philosopher who was condemned for his teaching, met his friends who came to visit him one day in prison. They saw him in chains, which certainly is a form of misery, and they told him how awful it was to see him unjustly condemned. He wisely responded, Would you rather see me justly condemned? In other words, he understood that it is better to suffer injustice rather than to commit it. He had a correct perspective on misery. Imagine a doctor who has to diagnose a patient with a threatening cancer. He sees that she is nervous, of course, and so to spare her this misery of being nervous about a possibly painful cancer treatment, he tells her that she is healthy. One week later, she's dead. The real misery, of course, is not the nervousness, but the cancer itself. It depends on your sense of perspective. If this doctor had really been merciful, if he really loved his patient and saw things in the right perspective, he would have told her as kindly as he could that she was very ill. He would have outlined the treatments that could save her life. He would promise her that he would help her at every step of the way. That is mercy. If you as a Christian see someone committing spiritual suicide and all you can say is, let's just hope he doesn't know what he's doing, as long as he feels good about himself, that's the main thing, then you are not being merciful. As Christians, we have received God's mercy, especially the day of our baptism, but also whenever we go to confession. God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. St. Paul to the Romans. We also are called to show true mercy to others. Psalm 84 says, Mercy and truth have met each other, justice and peace have kissed. God's inspired word tells us that truth and mercy can never be separated. Although there is a right way to share God's truth, hiding it is never merciful. Letting a patient's body die from treatable diseases Letting someone's soul die from sin is never merciful. There can never be a contradiction between truth and mercy. My dear friends, be very cautious about half-truths. Pope Leo XIII once pointed out, There can be nothing more dangerous than those heretics who admit nearly the whole cycle of doctrine, and yet by one word, as with a drop of poison, infect the real and simple faith taught by our Lord and handed down by apostolic tradition. In the collect we have been considering today, we asked the Lord, grant unto all them that are admitted into the fellowship of Christ's religion that they may shun those things that are contrary to their profession. In these confusing times when the spirit of the world is wreaking such havoc, even in the church, we know that we are just as weak as anyone else. But this is Easter time, 
the season when God reminds us that sacrifice leads to glory. This prayer is necessary for us all. Dear Lord, through no merits of our own, you have called us into the fellowship of your church. Again and again you have shown us your mercy after we have betrayed you again and again through our repeated sins. Do not let us waste this mercy. Give us the light of your truth so that we may share it with others, with kindness, patience, and humility. Do not let us murder the souls of our brothers through a false mercy that makes excuses for sin. Help us all to shun the dangers to our salvation, whatever it may cost. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.